And good Sunday morning. Welcome to the latest edition of Sharing the Victory, a program sponsored by the WVU chapter of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And Kirby Myers, campus director for the WVU FCA, is in on this Sunday morning, and he's got a message he's he's ready to get at. Ready to get after it. How are right. you doing, Kyle? I'm doing well. Thanks for coming in. We appreciate it. Thank you. Well, good morning. I have a lot to cover today, so I want to get right to it. If you have a Bible close by, I am in the Gospel of Mark today, Mark chapter 6, and we'll look at verses 45 through 56, and let me go ahead and read those for us. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side of Bethsaida, while he himself was sending the crowd away. After bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. When it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them, at about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, and he intended to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost, and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke with them and said to them, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them, and the wind stopped, and they were utterly astonished. For they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their heart was hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. When they got out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him and ran about the whole country and began to carry here and there on their pallets those who were sick to the place they heard he was. Wherever he entered villages or cities or countryside, They were laying the sick in the marketplaces and imploring him that they might just touch the fringe of his cloak, and as many as touched it were being cured. This is a very familiar story to us. If you grew up in the church, grew up reading the Bible, probably one that you have heard since you were young, uh, maybe since the earliest time we remember attending church. And so as we look at this passage today, we need the Spirit of God to make this fresh for us once again. So I'd like to show you seven things here that Jesus did to display his power and his glory. Number one, we see that he commanded the crowds to go away. In verse 45, it says, Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side of Bethsaida, while he himself was sending the crowd away. So Jesus here addresses two groups of people. First, the disciples. It says, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side of Bethsaida. He made them go away. This is a a very strong Greek verb, and it, it means to urge, to compel, or to force. And here we see that Jesus wanted to be alone. He had tried to be alone after hearing that John the Baptist had been murdered. If you look at verses 30 to 33, we read that the apostles gathered together with Jesus, and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest for a while, for there were many people coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. They went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. The people saw them going, and many recognized them, and ran there together on foot from all the cities, and got there ahead of them. The second group he addresses here is the crowd. Mark tells us that he sent the crowd away, and the verb here means to to release or to set free. He had shown them compassion. 
He had healed their sick. He had fed them to the point of satisfaction. But now it was time for him to be alone. Jesus was about to display his power and his glory to his disciples. But before he did, he wanted to be by himself. John, in his gospel, gives us another reason why he wanted to get away from them. In John 6.15, we read that Jesus, perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. Well, Jesus did not want to become their king. That was not the time for that yet. He did not want to be placed on a throne. He wanted to be alone for a specific reason. And the second thing that he did here to display his power and his glory, he called on the Lord in prayer. In verse 46, after bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. Jesus compelled the disciples to leave and go to the other side of Bethsaida, and Jesus released the crowds to their homes all for a purpose, so that he could be alone, so that he could spend time with the Father in prayer. Now, we know that Jesus was God. This is a concept and a doctrine that is clearly presented in each of the four Gospels. We have seen that in our study of the Gospel of John. But Jesus was also a man, and he was a man who had human emotions, a man who got hungry after fasting in the wilderness, a man who got thirsty and asked for a drink, a man who got sleepy and took a nap on a fishing boat during a storm, and a man who felt the need to be alone with the Father in prayer. This is a characteristic we see over and over in the life of Christ, Jesus getting alone with the Father in prayer, leaving his disciples to pray getting up early to pray, that he might get strength and comfort from the Father. And friends, if Jesus took time to be alone in prayer, if Jesus felt the need to get away and pray, how much more should we? None of us are divine, and so we should as well be willing and make time to get alone with the Father in prayer. Perhaps you've heard of Susanna Wesley. She was the mother of 19 children, This was before reality TV. She was the mother of John and Charles Wesley and 17 others, but she still found time to pray daily. This godly woman seldom gave the Lord less than an hour of prayer every day. We may object and we may say, but I have no mountain like Jesus did. Jesus could climb a mountain and get away from the busyness of the day. Well, Susanna Wesley had no mountain to climb. She had no specific place of prayer So at her chosen time of spiritual exercise, she would take her apron and pull it over her face, and her children were instructed to never disturb her when she was praying in her apron. Well, Jesus had to make sacrifices in order to be alone in prayer. He got up early, he stayed up late, he left the company of others, and he dismissed the crowds. But he still made time for the Father in prayer, and so must you and I. The third thing that Jesus did, he came to his disciples. In verses 47 and 48, when it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land, seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them. At about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea, and he intended to pass by them. The disciples had obeyed Jesus. They got into the boat. They were heading for the other side. 
but the wind and the waves had prevented them from reaching their destination. Mark tells us that they were in the middle of the sea. Matthew tells us that the boat was already a long distance from the land. Matthew was one of the 12 disciples, and he remembered that night as he wrote his account of that great event. He describes the boat as being battered by the waves. Uh, The verb means to torment. And this is what he says about the wind. He says the wind was contrary. This is an adjective meaning opposite or against or hostile. John describes the sea as being stirred up in his gospel, and Mark tells us here that Jesus saw that the disciples were straining at the oars because the wind was against them. And so the stage was set. The stage was set for Jesus to display his power and his glory. And you may ask the question, why did Jesus feel the need or the urgency to display his glory to them? They had just seen him do the miraculous and unexplainable, taking two fish and five loaves and giving thanks and breaking them and feeding the 5,000 men, which was probably up to or past 20,000 people. Did they really need to see another manifestation of his power and his glory? Well, the answer is yes, because in verse 52, we read, for they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their heart was hardened. So there is a need for Jesus to display his power and his glory yet again, and he would have to do this again and again to show them that he was more than just their master and teacher. He was their Messiah, the very Son of God. And so in verse 48, seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them, at about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, and he intended to pass by them. John tells us in his gospel that by now they have rowed for three or four miles. Matthew, Mark, and John all write about this event with such ease. The wind was howling and the waves were crashing, and Jesus was walking on the water. No big deal. Then Mark tells us that he intended to pass by them. Literally, that means he desired to come alongside of them. Well, not only was Jesus walking on the water, not only was he desiring to come alongside of them, this took place during the fourth watch of the night. So this is somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m. Now, just a reminder, it was not normal to see someone walking on the water. In fact, the disciples had never seen anyone walk on water. Now, there may have been times when they thought or said to themselves, man, Peter thinks he walks on water but they had never witnessed anyone doing this. And I want you to look at their reaction. They were not about to let him pass by without a reaction. Verse 49, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost and cried out. In Matthew's account, in chapter 14, verse 26, when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost and they cried out in fear. Well, if their pants were not soaked from the waves, they were wet now. They were frightened. They were terrified. They thought they were seeing a ghost. They were afraid before when the wind was stirring the water, when the waves were crashing against the sides of the boat, when they were straining and paddling, desperately trying to get to the other side. But those fears increased 
when they saw Jesus walking on the water, like they did when Jesus calmed the wind and the waves in Mark chapter 4. But look at what Jesus did, and here we see the fourth thing that Jesus did to display his power and his glory. He comforted those whom he loved. Verses 49 and 50, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke with them and said to them, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Jesus gave them the very thing they needed at that moment. He gave them peace in the midst of great peril. He gave them comfort in a time of great chaos. He comforted them just by speaking to them. And they were assured that this was not a ghost. They were acquainted with this voice. This was the voice of their master, the voice of Jesus, the voice of their shepherd. How many times has Christ done this for us, given us comfort in times of great stress and anxiety and fear, times when we were afraid, perhaps even terrified, burdened with the cares and the worries of this world, and Jesus spoke to us, not in an audible voice, but through his written word, and comforted us by his Holy Spirit. God has brought us comfort. God has relieved our anxieties. God has calmed the storms in our lives, and he has comforted us with words of life and peace. Jesus would do this here for the twelve corporately, but would have to do so again for one individually, and that is Simon Peter. Now, I thought about this as I was preparing this message. Mark, the writer of this gospel, was a friend of the Apostle Peter. Tradition tells us that Peter was a source that Mark used for the writing of his gospel. And as Mark did his research and was led by the Spirit of God to write his account on the life and ministry of Christ, he would have spoken to Peter and listened to his eyewitness accounts of these events. And I wonder, as Peter was telling Mark about the day that Jesus walked on the water, did Mark speak up and say, oh yeah, Matthew was telling me about this. Isn't that when you walked on the water and almost drowned? And Peter replied, yes, but why don't you just leave that out of your account? (laughs) Well, Matthew didn't. He includes something that neither Mark nor John include in their writings, and I think it's worth our time today to look at this in the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew 14, verse 28, Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Christ is so gracious here. He is so compassionate. He could have said, no, Peter, it is not for you to walk on the water. This is a miracle reserved for me and for me alone. This was done so that you might see my power and my glory. So just sit down and row. But that's not what he said. Look at what Jesus says to Peter in Matthew 14, 29. And he said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. And Matthew tells us about Peter doing something that no other disciple had the privilege of doing, walking on the water. But we all know what happens. Peter did something else that no one has ever done. He saw the wind, we are told, in 
Matthew's gospel, verse 30, but seeing the wind, he became frightened and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. And we all know what happened here. Peter took his eyes off Christ. He saw the wind. He observed the huge waves. He got scared. He lost faith that he could do the thing that Jesus was empowering him to do, and he began to sink. So in verse 31 in Matthew's gospel, we see the word immediately. Matthew uses Mark's favorite word. Jesus loved his disciples, and Jesus loved Peter, and he didn't let him struggle. He didn't allow him to swallow a bunch of seawater, but no, we find in verse 31, Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Jesus comforted him by pulling him up out of the water, giving him the very thing he needed. But then he confronted him for his fear and his lack of faith. Friends, you and I get in trouble when we take our eyes off Christ, when we get away from his word, when we neglect his commands, when we fail to remember his promises. And the writer of Hebrews gives us godly instruction on keeping our eyes on Christ. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Here's the key. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So here in this passage in the Gospel of Mark, we see that Jesus commanded the crowds to go away. He called on the Lord in prayer. He came to his disciples in a time of great need. He comforted those he loved. Number five, he calmed the very wind that he created. In verse 51, we read that he, then he got into the boat with them and the wind stopped. Jesus calmed the very wind that he himself had spoken into existence. He calmed the wind that he had just called up for this specific purpose, to display his power to the disciples, to show his glory to his disciples, to teach his disciples to trust in him. Jesus had calmed the wind and the waves before, from Mark chapter 4, causing the disciples to be more terrified of him than the storm that was about to take their lives, causing them to say out loud, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Well, look at what happens next. Number six, he caused his followers to worship him. Verse 51 reads, and they were utterly astonished. And when you read this in Matthew's gospel, Matthew fourteen thirty-three. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You are certainly God's Son. And when I say that he caused them to worship him, please don't misunderstand me here. They did not become robots that he had programmed, saying in unison and without emotion, You are certainly God's Son. No, they were utterly astonished, absolutely amazed. 
they were baffled and dumbfounded. And I use the word caused here not only because it starts with a C to go with my other points, but also to point out this observation. What else could they do? They were in the midst of a great storm. They had seen Jesus walk on top of the sea. Have you ever tried to do this? They had, they had been calmed from great fear and trepidation. They had seen one of their own walk on the water toward Jesus. Peter, a simple fisherman who had never gone to the school of how to walk on water. And they had seen Jesus uh, rescue Peter without the aid of a flotation device. And now they have seen Jesus calm this contrary wind and these violent waves when, Je- when just minutes before they were out of control. What else could they do but be astonished? What else could they do but worship the Savior and cry out, you are definitely the Son of God. There is no other explanation. How else could you calm the wind and the waves? And friend, this is the Christ that you and I worship if we know him. This is the Christ who has miraculously saved us from our sins and granted to us eternal life and transferred us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. What else can we do but worship him? Why do we concern ourselves with other things? Why do we put our trust in the things of the world which do not last? Why do we place anything above our love for the Savior who commanded us to follow him, who called us out of our sin, who came to us when we were not seeking after him, who comforted us and continues to comfort us from our fears and anxieties, and who calms the storms in our lives? Friend, Jesus is worthy of all of our worship. Jesus is worthy of all of our praise. There's a seventh thing here that Jesus did to display his power and his glory. He cured those who were sick. He cured those who were sick. Look at verses 53 through 56. When they had crossed over, they came to the land, to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. When they got out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him and ran about that whole country and began to carry here and there on their pallets those who were sick to the place they heard he was. Wherever he entered villages or cities or countryside, they were laying the sick in the marketplaces and imploring him that they might just touch the fringe of his cloak, and as many as touched it were being cured." The disciples may have been hard to recognize after this cruise on the sea. They were like wet dogs, battered from the wind and the waves. But think about this. Jesus needed only to wipe the bottoms of his feet. Amazing that someone could walk on the top of the water. After spending just a little bit of time away and alone, time in prayer with the Father, he is once again now surrounded by the crowds. But we don't see Jesus complain that, oh, I just want to be alone. It's 
probably what he wanted to be doing, but instead Jesus shows compassion. The crowds were imploring him. They were urging him. They were exhorting him. Just let us touch the fringe of your cloak. That is all that we ask, but we are asking. In fact, we are imploring. And as many as touched it were being cured. One more way that Jesus here displays his power and his glory. Well, friends, um, no matter how old you are, none of us were there that day when Jesus walked on the water and calmed the storm. But we have an account of this great event here in his holy word. I've been a pastor, and I've heard some people say over the last few years, including some people close to me, that they don't take parts of the Bible as literal history. But let me let you in on a secret, those of you that are listening today. This is literal, and this is history. This is a true account. This comes from the one and only true God. This is an account of the one who is the truth himself. As Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. This comes from a God who cannot and will not lie. You know, God is all-powerful. God is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. But there is one thing God cannot do. He cannot lie. He's a God of truth. And that is something I'm so thankful for, that when we open the Word of God, we know that it is true. And so the question for all of us today is this, what will we do with the manifestations of the power and the glory of God? If we have read the Bible, studied passages like this, we have seen Jesus display his power, and so we too have become a witness of his glory. And I pray, just as it did in the disciples that were there that day, that this would cause us to worship him that we would be caused to love him, to adore him, and to lay down our lives before him. And when we do this, this is for our good, and this is for the glory of Almighty God. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for this great story, this narrative that we find in the Gospel of Mark. And Lord, we know that it is, it is literal and it is history. This is something that really took place, And we're thankful that Matthew and Mark could record this for our edification so that we could see a display of your power and your glory. Lord, because of what we have seen, may it cause us to worship you as the disciples worshiped you, that we would love you, that we would adore you, and that we would be willing to lay down our lives for you and for the gospel. And Lord, we know this is for our good, and we know this this is for your glory. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Sharing the Victory, 104.5 FM, 1440 AM, WAJR. And uh, Kirby Myers, the FCA, the uh, campus director with us. And and you mentioned there at the end that that you encounter people who don't take the Bible literally. What's what's your message? How do you counter that? (laughs) Well, um, you know, I think God has to convince you that it's true. I think the troubling thing these days, Kyle, are those who claim to be Christians, claim to be followers of Christ, who deny certain parts of the Bible. That's that's very problematic. Mm -hmm. So it's not, obviously, it's not all, it's just certain parts. But again, it's like, 
a lot of things in life you can't select. You can't be selective about what you believe and uh, to fit your own, you know, your own thoughts Correct. and desires. Correct. I mean, the Bible is very clear that it's it's inspired by God. Um, everything written in it is true. And again, it comes from a God who cannot lie. So I'm going to trust it. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Again, go to the website. We encourage you to learn more about the WVUFCA at uh, WVUFCA.org. Again, Kirby and Teresa uh, are there. They're the uh, the leaders of the organization here in Morgantown and on the WVU campus, and we encourage you to uh, try and get to know them better through the website. You can reach out there as well, WVUFCA.org. This is Sharing the Victory. Thanks for listening to our Sunday morning programming including sharing the victory here on 104.5 FM, 1440 AM, WHAO.